with Amari Cooper compared to without, it's a difference of like 35 points. He has a losing record without Amari Cooper in the last few years. So I think that's a big loss. They're going to ask for too much from their wide receivers. Ezekiel Elliott does not have enough left in the tank. The offensive line's not as good. You got McCarthy on the hot seat. The defense overachieved last year. It was the most... It was the most... How should I phrase this? The defense, based off of their turnovers, they added the most value to a defense of any team in the NFL in the last decade. They averaged two turnovers per game. They got a bunch of defensive touchdowns. It was the most valuable defense in the NFL in a decade. It's not going to happen this year. So the Cowboys won't be as good. Dak won't be as good. He won't have as many short fields. I say slump for Dak. I think he takes a big step back this season for Dallas. Good stuff there, Luke. I think I'm with you. All right. Uh, Bump or slump Jalen Hurts. I I always put him in the same camp as Tua. So for the same reasons, I'm going to say bump. There's not there, there's more room to go up than there is to go down. Now he wasn't ter- he, you know, he wasn't terrible last year. He played pretty well. He got the Eagles to the playoffs, but there's still a lot more room to grow. We saw in the playoff game, he's still wildly inaccurate throwing the football. But Nick Sirianni, in a first year role as a head coach last year, did a really good job of building a good offense for his young quarterback to help him succeed. Now in year two, you get AJ Brown in this offense. Uh, the offensive line may be the best in the league. So I'm going to say bump for Jalen Hurts. I don't know how big of a bump it is. He's playing for his job. That should probably help him play better. But same idea. Like last year, it wasn't like he put up huge numbers. It's easier to do better than last year than to do worse. He's closer to the floor than he is the ceiling. So I think Jalen Hurts will be better this year. How much better? I don't know. I think by the end of the year, the jury still may be out. Look, the Eagles stockpile draft picks in next year's draft for this very reason. In case Hurts does not do well enough this year and they have to go get a different quarterback. So they're not sold on him yet. But I'm going to say bump for Jalen Hurts. I think he'll do better in year two as a starter. Nicely said, Luke. Next up, your very own Mr. Kirk Cousins bumper slump. That's right. I got to go bump. Um, Now, look, when he got COVID last year and had to sit out a couple games, the Vikings had a top 10 offense. So the offense wasn't really the problem last year. The problem is maybe fourth quarters for Kirk Cousins or close games. But I think just bringing in Kevin O'Connell will be a a big help. We've seen Sean McVay. We've seen Kyle Shanahan. They get the most out of their quarterbacks. Kevin O'Connell comes from the McVay coaching tree. I'm going to say bump uh, because you go from a defensive coach of Mike Zimmer who did not like Kirk Cousins and a run-first offense to now a new progressive young coach who seems to get along with Kirk. He's worked with Kirk before in Washington. They have a relationship. He's an offensive coach, and he's going to be more aggressive, and you're going to be able to unleash some of these weapons like Irv Smith Jr., who's back healthy this year, Adam Thielen, Justin Jefferson, uh, K.J. Osborne's a nice number three wide receiver, Dalvin Cook in the passing game. They tried to address the offensive line a little bit. I'll say bump for Kirk Cousins. I'm not going to tell you he's going to go win the MVP, but I do think he'll play better than last year, maybe get the Vikings to the playoffs. So I'll say bump. I think I'm with you there too, Luke. He's well set up. All right, next up, the big villain, bump or slump, Aaron Rodgers. This is another tough one because I think most people would say, right, you lose Devontae Adams, he's going to have a down year. A lot of times when you go back and you look, quarterbacks or teams do better after they lose their star wide receiver. Every team got better the very next year after losing Randy Moss. Same idea with uh, Terrell Owens, Ocho Cinco. Go back and look. Their teams have better records the next year. It's the old Patrick Ewing theory. You no longer have to force the football to one guy. Rodgers was forcing the football a lot to Devontae. He's the only guy he trusted. I think Rodgers, what we think we know about him, he's going to have a real chip on his shoulder. He's going to try to prove people wrong this year. I think he's in for a big year. I don't think he's going to win the MVP for a third straight year, like big Aaron Rodgers fan Trent believes. But I do think he'll be just fine without Devontae Adams. He may get off to a little bit of a slow start as he learns his other receivers. He may have to lean on some guys he's not used to leaning on. He's a big trust guy. But I think Rodgers is out to to prove uh, all the naysayers wrong this year, and he'll be forced to do some different things. 
instead of forcing the football in one direction, actually throw to an open receiver, force to trust some other guys, take what the play gives him. I think Rodgers, I'll say bump. I mean, he is the MVP, so it's hard to do better than that. He's the defending MVP. But I think he'll be better than uh, people may expect this year. I don't think Devontae Adams will be as big of a loss as many believe. Good stuff. I think I'm with you there, too. All right, really big one here. Bump or slump Tom Brady. Everybody's down on the Buccaneers right now. He just lost uh, another offensive lineman. They're, they're, they got some real question marks on their three interior offensive linemen from last year to this year. And we know for Brady, the old uh, cliche is how do you beat him? you got to get pressure up the middle on him. So now there's a, there's a concern. No Bruce Arians. Uh, Gronk's gone. Changes on the offensive line. Brady's another year older. But I say this all the time. I will go down on the sinking ship. The Tom Brady ship. I will sink with it. I'm the last one to jump off. We're all at the Tom Brady party. You're checking out. You think he's done. That's fine. I'll be the last one there. I'll clean up after you all leave, and I'll turn off the lights on my way out. So because of that, I'm going to say bump for Tom Brady. Until he retires, I'm never selling my Brady stock. I know there's a lot of concerns. Gronk's gone. Godwin's coming back from an ACL. Antonio Brown's gone. Offensive line questions. But they did bring in Kyle Rudolph, who could be like the next Gronk, former pro bowler. They did bring in Julio Jones, who maybe will be like Antonio Brown. Tom Brady still has his offensive coordinator. And by the way, he's still Tom Brady. So I'll say bump. I think Brady, if this is his final year, I think he uh, will try to go out on top. I'll say bump for Tom Brady. He'll be just fine. You can't doubt the guy. He'll be uh, he'll be fine this year. Good points there, Luke. Just a couple more here. Bump or slump. Big one here. Baker Mayfield. Yeah, this is another tough one. I mean, you can't do much worse than last year. He was playing injured last year. So just by simply being healthy, you should see a bump in production from Baker. I am going to say bump. I think the Panthers could be a better fit. Do they have as much talent as Cleveland? Maybe not. Is Ben McAdoo as good of an offensive coach as Kevin Stefanski? I don't know. Maybe not. I'm still not sold on Stefanski, and he was the offensive coordinator of the Vikings. That's why I'm unsold on him. But for Baker, you get Christian McCaffrey, assuming he's healthy. That's a big boost. And I think Ben McAdoo is a better fit for him. I laid this out in the show yesterday, but McAdoo's offense is more similar to what Baker was doing in college compared to Kevin Stefanski. So you get back to some of your roots. You get back to what's worked for you. They're going to be more aggressive, I imagine, than the Browns were with Baker Mayfield. And he may have to be forced to throw more, which, like Trevor Lawrence, could be a good thing. It helps the quarterback get into rhythm. It gives them some trust. And Baker, I love the move that Baker gave up money to be in Carolina. And he has a chance to make up some of that money in incentives, but all the incentives are based on the team, how many games the team wins, not necessarily personal stuff. So he's kind of banking on himself this year, heading into free agency, right? He's uh, he's uh, counting on himself to have a good year. I love that. So I like the chip on the shoulder. I like the fit in Carolina. I like a hungry Baker Mayfield. He will face his former team week one. I think that sets him up well. I'll say a bump from Baker. Plus, he's just healthy this year. Should be, knock on wood. So I'll say Baker Mayfield plays better this year than he did last year. Good stuff, Luke. Huge year for Mr. Mayfield. All right, final one and another interesting one. Mr. Kyler Murray, bumper slump. It depends when the new Call of Duty is coming out, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'm going to say bump. The Cardinals have gotten better each year. Now, Kyler did get the big contract. There's always a concern once you get the contract, and he got a lot of guaranteed money. You know, how inspired are you? We already have the reports that he's not a big film study guy. All right, so now that he got his contract, is he going to work, you know, less uh, as hard as he was the years past? But I'm going to say bump because I think it's another year for him with Cliff Kingsbury. They've gotten better every year, and uh, I think what may help is you have DeAndre Hopkins going to miss the first few games, but therefore he may be more rested for the second half of the season when the Cardinals usually slide. So maybe that helps them avoid that second-half slide. 
Plus, we have the pressure on Murray now. We have this talking point this week about you know his his study habits. Similar to Rodgers, similar to Baker. I think there's a chip on the shoulder of Kyler Murray, even though he just got that contract. Uh, I think he will continue to take another step forward. I'll say bump for Kyler Murray. But it better be, because if he is slumping, we know the talking points around him all football season. We'll just be mocking him because of his video game habits and because of this contract clause that has since been removed but still served its purpose, getting it out there that Kyler is not much of a studier. Maybe he's going to study more this year. Maybe he'll be even better. I'll say bump for Kyler Murray. I don't know if I feel great about it, but I do think he'll be better than a year ago. And that's about half the league for quarterbacks. Bump or slump what to expect out of them in 2022. Speaking of quarterbacks, speaking of Baker Mayfield, when we come back, the Carolina Panthers, are they doing things all wrong with their quarterbacks? We'll get to that next. It's the Mar Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Overhead Door Company, the original garage door company, serving you for over 90 years. Call 843-767-0028 or overheaddoorco.com. Overhead Door Company of Charleston, proud to open Hour 2 of the Morrow Midday Show. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Coming up, are the Panthers doing it all wrong with their quarterbacks? It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. That's a pretty good solo there. You usually don't think of Steely Dan for uh, some sort of guitar, or even in their case, maybe like some sort of keyboard solo. Uh, But that's not bad. I think you also got a sitar in there. Maybe that's what that solo's on. Uh, That's a good, uh, I never really sat down and paid attention to listen to it. That's a good solo right there from Steely Dan. Hey, if you ever miss anything from the show, such as last segment where we played a game, if you will, of bump or slump looking at quarterbacks in the NFL, and whether they're due for a bump in production or a slump this year, you can find that on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. We'll talk more about quarterbacks in just a moment with the Panthers. The Panthers quarterback battle lingers on, but are they doing it all wrong? We'll get to that in just a moment. Also earlier... We checked in with Lou, but had some uh, connection issues as we were talking about a story from last hour with a wide receiver in Nebraska, DeColdis Crawford, who got a name, image, and likeness deal with an air conditioning company because of that great name. Well, Lou's back with us. You can always join the conversation on the phones, 843-721-9500 to give us a call. Hopefully uh, no issues this time. Lou, what's going on? How are you? Real good. Okay, so right. uh, another pre uh, some years ago, like uh, back in the seventies, there was a defensive back at Nebraska whose name is 
was, and maybe still is, wonderful, terrific Mons Jr., last name M-O-N-D-S, played for Nebraska and had a brief NFL career. Now that's a that's a wonderful name. Was that his real? Uh, was that his? That was his birth name. Wonderful, terrific. Yes, I looked him up and uh, I heard about him when I uh, was in Iowa visiting relatives. Uh, my mother's from Iowa, and I still had relatives there. And I went to visit, and uh, they said, "Hey, this, uh, you're a Nebraska football fan." I go, "Yeah." Go, well, a local, not a local kid, but a, a a guy who played community college football or junior college. Uh, in, in that area of Iowa, a place called Indian Hills, I think. And he went to Nebraska. They recruited him and found him, and he went there. And, and, they, and my aunt told me, the guy's name is Wonderful Mons. <laughs> and I said, you're kidding. He goes, no. <laughs> you know, so he, he had a, a career at Nebraska and briefly in the NFL. And then just recently I remembered his name because you were talking about Nebraska football players, interesting name. So I looked him up, and I, it took me a while to like remember the name exactly. But, yeah. And I didn't know that his middle name was terrific. Yeah, even better. And he's, a, and he's a junior, so there must be somebody else with the same name. I didn't go that far into the uh, my research. I just briefly <laughs> looked it up. But there's a name for you. Absolutely. I love it. Something about the Nebraska, apparently. Appreciate it, Lou. Wonderful, terrific Mons Jr. You better be a good football player with that name. Right, if you're a parent and you're going to name your kid wonderful, terrific, like it's great. You love your child. You want them to have a wonderful, terrific name, but they better they better do some wonderful, wonderfully terrific things in life, because otherwise you're just setting them up for all sorts of jeers. And again, the jokes would write themselves, just like Decoldus now advertising for Decoldus Air Conditioning in Nebraska, the company named SOS Heating and Cooling. I mean, that's just perfect. So we have wonderful, terrific Mons Jr. as well. But again, he's a junior. So you have to have another wonderful, terrific. And then they thought, oh, this was just so wonderful and terrific. we got to name our kid this as well. Now, how about this? Wonderful, terrific Mons Jr. is also uh, the father of wonderful, terrific Mons III, who played minor league baseball, apparently. So it just keeps going. So we've had at least three in this family tree. Wonderful, terrific Mons we're now down to the, at least the third. Wonderful, terrific Mons Jr., the second, and this becomes like a real tongue twister. Played at Nebraska, as Lou mentioned. Was drafted in 1976 and spent three years in the NFL. Uh, check that, one year in the NFL with the Niners. But that was sandwiched around years in the CFL. He played four years in the CFL. Actually won the Grey Cup Championship in 1976. How about that? Retired after the 1979 football season. Or just stop playing. Opportunities dried up, had to retire. His unusual name was originally given to his father when, after his grandparents had several girls, a son was finally born, and his father thought it was wonderful, just terrific. Ha, I like that. So the grandparents, the originators of the name Wonderful Terrific Mons, they had all sorts of girls. And if, you know, this is always the conversation. That when, uh, when a guy is going to be a father for the first time, of course, you're going to love your child no matter what. But if we're all being honest, right, every guy, I have friends that are having kids now. They always say, I hope it's a boy, right, because you want that boy that you grew up playing sports with. They'll grow up playing sports with you in the driveway. You'll watch sports with them. You have a sports fan now to watch the games with. You can just connect with them. I imagine women maybe prefer to have girls. 
men may prefer to have boys. No matter what child you have, you're going to love them. They're your kid. But when you're getting ready to have that kid, you're, you know, if we're all being honest, you're probably thinking to yourself, like, oh, I hope it's a boy. Get to teach him how to play basketball, football, baseball, whatever. Have him grow up to be a Clemson fan just like me or a South Carolina fan, Citadel fan, whatever it is. Uh, that's what you always – that's what – you know, like if you ever daydream of being a father, that's kind of what you daydream of. Those same experiences you had maybe with your father. So you have this guy in Florida having all sorts of daughters. He's thinking, oh, man, when am I finally going to have a son that can carry on these sports traditions? And eventually they had a boy, and he said, wow, this is just wonderful. Wonderful, terrific Mons. And then he had a boy, named him the name, and so on and so forth. We have three editions of Wonderful, Terrific Mons. How about that? That'd be a great name. Into Football, for whatever reason, and we did the all-name team last summer heading into the football season. Football always gives just the best names. I don't know what it is, but we always get great names from specifically college football. I guess just because the number of players. There's so many guys that play college football that you know the chances of getting a unique name are just increased. Growing up, I don't think I had any weird names or, like, uh, unique names I grew up with. There was one kid I went to middle school with, I think only middle school, and his name was uh, it was Justin. And then you always had people that were like Justin Time or there was a wrestler, Justin Credible, right? Justin uh, plays well with a lot of names. And I'm trying to remember, I think it was, um, oh, what was his? I don't think it was Time. We had a kid in middle school, I can't remember his name, that it was just, it was Justin something that played off of it. Just in blank. Maybe in time. Just in time. That may have been a kid I went to school with for a couple of years. And we'd always hear the name over the announcements. I mean, maybe it was just the principal, like, uh, having fun. But they'd always uh, page them to the office, and we'd always hear that name. And I can't remember now. It may have been just in time. Something along those lines. A buddy of mine always claimed that he grew up with a girl named Adore Bell. Last name Bell, first name Adore. You know, like, I adore that person. Adore Bell. You put it together, obviously, right? a, a door, it, it's a doorbell. And we never believed him. He claimed he went to school with a doorbell and somebody named Miami Dolphin. Now, Miami Dolphin, they were both females. They were both girls. Miami Dolphin grew up in a family of Dolphins fans, and their last name was Dolphin. Now, I don't know if they became Dolphins fans because of the last name or, or what. This was up in Connecticut. It's not like they lived in Miami as Dolphin fans. So I don't know how they became Dolphin fans, maybe just Dan Marino. And they had a daughter. And I guess because they're such big Dolphins fans, they said, we got to do it. We're Dolphins fans. It's our last name. we got to name her Miami. Right? She goes through life probably, it's pronounced Miami. Uh, but Miami Dolphin was her name. And we, I never believed my buddy until he showed me his yearbook finally. After years, if he would tell these stories, and we'd say, you're lying. Why are you making up these names? And eventually, after like four years of knowing this kid, he finally showed me his high school yearbook. And sure enough, there was a doorbell. There was Miami Dolphin. The only one I had was we had a teacher, Kelly Kelly, but I think she was married. But that's another one. You see that from time to time. People have kids, and they just name them the first thing, you know, the same first name as last name. Charles Charles. Like, what are you doing? If your last name is a first name, you can't name the kid the first name. Can't do it. A doorbell, Miami Dolphin, those are some of the ones that I didn't grow up with, but what do you mind did? Wonderful, terrific moms. Anderson, did you grow up with any kids that had very unique names that uh, stand out? You know, I don't think so. Yeah. I, I think one of the funniest ones, I knew a kid named Guy. His name was just Guy, like mm. G-U-I. I know a guy, yep. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's probably the most unique one I'm, I'm remembering. I'll have to go through the yearbook tonight and figure it out. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I had any too crazy ones. Like I said, we had a teacher. They would always page her, too, Kelly Kelly. Uh, but I think, again, that was through marriage. 
which if your first name's Kelly, sorry, he may be the most wonderful guy in the world. You can't marry somebody with the last name, Kelly. It's like Julia Gulia in The Wedding Singer. You can't marry him just because of the name. You're going to be known as Julia Gulia the rest of your life? You can't do it. And he ended up being a jerk anyways. Yeah, we uh, our, we have a family friend named Guy. He actually played in the NFL. I think it's a nick. I don't know if it's his birth name. It may be a nickname that he goes by. Right? Are people born named Guy? I don't know. But that's a, that's how I always refer I always refer to people as Guy, anyways. Right? That's so it would be uh, it's it'd be perfect for this person for this guy. When we come back, we'll get to the Panthers. I could talk about unique names all afternoon. But when we come back, we'll uh, get to the Panthers and their quarterback situation. Are they handling it all wrong? Talk about it next. Good morning, Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show. Are the Panthers going about the quarterback situation all wrong? It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. We were talking about unique names last segment. You can always text the show, 843-608-1734 to text the show. Somebody on the text line said they went to high school with twins, London and Brooklyn, and the last name was Bridges. So you had London Bridge or London Bridges and Brooklyn Bridges. Again, if you do something, that's got to be intentional. Right, that's got to be like a parent with a sense of humor. They just think like that would be cool to name a kid after the, the Brooklyn. Their last name's Bridge. Like, yeah, we might as well name them after popular bridges. But twin girls, I, well, I assume girls. I don't maybe maybe not. Could be boys. London Bridge, Bridges. The yes kind of ruins it. London Bridges and Brooklyn Bridges. When you name a child something like that, you're just setting them up to be teased their whole life. Hey, the Carolina Panthers. They have their quarterback battle going on. Between Baker and Sam Darnold. And uh, we've been talking about this on the show. I, you know, I, I think Baker will win out. I think he should. I think he is the better quarterback. I think he starts week one. I think that's why you bring him in. But here was Brady Quinn on his radio show, which uh, you can hear on our sister station uh, over on Fox Sports Radio. And Brady, who played the position in the NFL, does bring up an interesting point where the Panthers, they've been selling this all along, that it's a true quarterback battle. They are splitting reps. The better man, right? Let the best man win. Matt Rule said this week, it's not my job to pick the quarterback. It's on them, whichever one plays better. All sounds good and well, but I like this perspective from Brady Quinn, who's been through it before. Here's what he said about why that could be a little bit of a concern, why it could be maybe the wrong way to do things for the Panthers. Here was uh, Brady Quinn's breakdown. When you've got a position that's so difficult and relies on the synchronization of so many pieces, your offensive line, hearing your cadence, and, and, the, and the way in which you call the cadence, you know, the wide receivers and your timing and rhythm and how you throw the ball and the type of ball you throw, uh, and then and vice versa, for you to get a feel for how they, they run in and out of their breaks, you know, their body language, because you're throwing that football long before they, or you should be, before they get out of their cut. Like, all those things take so many reps and time and practice that I just think you're short-selling whoever's going to go in there and play. It's not that I don't think Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield could go in and play and play well. It's just that you're giving them less of a chance to do that. 
because you're not giving them quite as much practice. Now, Sam Darnold's been there, you know, with these guys, so he should have a much better feel. But if you want to start off the season week one with Baker, I, I, I'd be looking at it thinking like, well, dude, I need all the reps I can get. I, I got to catch up. Like, I didn't get OTAs in minicamp with this team. You know, I'm still learning the offense. I'm still, you know, getting down how, how we run this system here. All that stuff takes time. So I, I just, I've never been a fan of it. Uh, for quarterbacks, because if, if you're not preparing one guy, right, and you're like, oh, our quarterback competition, we're preparing two guys for it. So, like, well, no, you're not preparing anyone for it. Brady Quinn on his show yesterday. Yeah, that's a good point. It goes back to the old cliche of if you have two quarterbacks, you really have none. And so when you're splitting the reps, it sounds all good and well, like you're giving each guy a fair shot. On day one, Sam Darnold was the first team reps. Baker was on the second team, and then they flip-flopped it yesterday. And I, I imagine maybe they'll go back and forth each day, at least to start, until one guy start, seems to take that step forward. But it's a fair point by Brady Quinn that, look, you're on, a, you're on a tight schedule. Baker came in here late. Yes, Sam Darnold was here last year, but now you have a new offensive coordinator. So while Darnold may at least have the advantage in that he knows his teammates, he knows who he's throwing the football to, he's also learning a whole new offense. And you're splitting the time with the two of them. They're splitting the number of reps. Instead of if you have a true number one quarterback, he may not be getting 100% because you still give your backup some reps have them be prepared but you're certainly getting more than 50 50 it's not an even split so you're almost doing yourself a disservice as you try to make things even and pick one or the other you're almost doing yourself a disservice where neither are as strong as they should be we're sure it's a fair competition you're giving both guys the opportunity to win out you really want to see which one is truly better it's the fairest way to maybe determine but while you're doing that instead of getting to a hundred percent now you're going to be choosing between two guys that may be at 75 percent and they're both learning a new offense. And in the case of Baker, right, learning a new team as well and teammates. And Baker came into this whole thing late just a couple of weeks ago. It could feel like uh, you, you're drinking out of a fire hose. Remember Cam Newton said in regards to the Patriots, that whole season he never really grasped it. He was there for a whole year, was the starter, at least when he didn't have COVID. And he said, you know, I was still always working through things. It's, it's, it's a lot more complex than, than maybe you would even imagine trying to get the hold of a playbook and an offense and be the leader of a new team. So it's a fair point that I didn't really think of from Brady Quinn, but he's been through it before. When you're splitting reps like that, I mean, you're just making it more challenging on both guys. And whoever you pick, whether it's Baker or Sam, you're going to go into week one, and they may not be as prepared as if you just made your choice now and said, okay, Baker's our guy, you get all the reps, and hopefully you show us you should have this job by the time we get to week one. And then he truly is prepared. You're most putting yourself behind the eight ball regardless of your decision it'd be like if you and your job uh were asked to do multiple things right you had to divide your time between two different roles maybe at the company you lost somebody in a certain role and they haven't replaced them yet so now you're in charge of like uh i don't know right pr and you also got to go out and still do your sales you're filling in in a different void well you're, you're divvying up your time you can't commit the same amount of time energy or resources to your normal task and so you may be able to get by doing both jobs. You may do a fine job, but you do even better if you could focus all of your energy on just simply sales or just importing instead of exporting, to use a Seinfeld reference. right? Why try to do both when you can focus all on just one and be even better at that? And it's similar here. Like, why split the reps between two guys that, sure, they both, both may be boosted. Say they're at both at 50% right now. Okay, by September, they may both increase to 75% capacity. So now you have two talent or two you know quarterbacks to choose from, but neither one is at a hundred percent, is as good as they should be or could be at that time. 
I do think Baker will win out. And honestly, look, I appreciate giving the opportunity, every opportunity to Sam. And the fact that it may truly be a 50-50 competition. But I don't think you make that move to bring in Baker Mayfield unless he's expected to be the guy. I don't think you draft a quarterback and you bring in Baker Mayfield unless you're already out on Sam Darnold. And Baker has accomplished more than Sam. So if you make that trade and bring in Baker, it shouldn't be like, all right, you still have to go earn the job. No, you brought him in. It should be to, okay, you're our guy. Let's get you ready for week one. So I do think in that sense the Panthers are doing themselves a little bit of a disservice here. You saw Darnold last year. You know what he brings to the table. Roll with Baker. See what he can do this year. And if not, well, Darnold's still there as the backup, you know, midseason. What's also interesting is how we wound up with Baker. You know, you're paying Sam Darnold more if that plays a role. But, like, for example, if the GM wanted Baker Mayfield but not necessarily Matt Rule. So then the GM goes out and makes the trade and brings in Baker. But for Matt Rule, it's still his guy. It's still his team. Like He makes the final call. Or at least how practices run. He's making those decisions. You know, to, to make another reference to Moneyball, a movie I rewatched for the thousandth time while it was on TV this past weekend. Same idea where, uh, you know, Billy Bean built his team to be a certain way, but then he clashed with the manager because the manager was saying, hey, this is still my team. I make the lineup. So you may bring in a certain guy, but I don't want him to be our starting first baseman, so he's going to be on the bench. Similar here. Like Matt Rule may say, hey, I know you went out and traded for Baker, but I like Sam Darnold more. And so you give Sam every chance. Or if it was more led by Matt Rule and he wanted to bring in Baker, well, then you would just assume that Baker is the guy and he's the starter from day one. Coach wanted to go get him. You go get him. Now he's your guy. So I do think it's interesting that uh, it's an interesting point and perspective from Brady Quinn and the fact that they are splitting reps. We'll see how things play out which quarterback truly wins out, I do think it'll be Baker, and I think it should be. That's why you went out and you got Baker. If you were 100% pleased with Sam, you know, you probably wouldn't have fired the offensive coordinator to make him the fall guy. Something obviously was wrong. You wouldn't have uh, gone out and drafted a quarterback. You wouldn't have tried to necessarily get Deshaun Watson. You maybe would have committed to Darnold beyond this year. You wouldn't have traded for Baker. You've done nothing in the past year that would show that you believe Darnold could be the guy moving forward. And then there's also this of the fans at uh, training camp there up in Spartanburg at Wofford. And uh, every time the quarterbacks, I said this before in the show, that it seems like the Panthers are kind of driving home that, ah, oh, these two guys, they're good. They're friendly. They're, they're good to go. They're on the same page. Because every day they're putting out videos of the two quarterbacks, and maybe quarterbacks always walk out on the field together, but Darnold and Baker walking out onto the field together every day. And every day the response from the fans that go to training camp are always rooting for Baker. Here's how it sounded the other day as they made their way to the field. Listen to the uh, to the audio. Nobody's calling for Sam Darnold. All the fans want Baker Mayfield. Here's how it sounded up at uh, Wofford. Right, everything for Baker. No, nothing about Sam Darnold who was walking right next to him. Maybe it's because he's the new guy in town, but I think Panther fans are more excited about Baker. You know what Sam Darnold brings. Baker, though, could bring a little more optimism. I also think Baker's a more likable guy for certain people. Like, Baker may come off as more of a jerk than Sam Darnold. Sam's always carried himself well. He's always taken the high road on things. He's never gotten himself in trouble. But, you know, sometimes you appreciate the outspoken jerk that is a Baker Mayfield. I mean, he's perceived to be a jerk. I'm not calling him a jerk. Some people think he is. He's been outspoken. Maybe even ran himself out of town a little bit in Cleveland there, on and off the field. 
but you kind of like that guy that comes in, you know, has a little some moxie to himself, has that chip on his shoulder. He's a little rough around the edges. You appreciate that from your quarterback. Adds a little edge to your team instead of Sam Darnold, who is just kind of like, meh. Right? You like, don't really know he's in the room, and that could be a good thing. But for football fans, and you talk about your, your quarterback, like you want your quarterback, especially a team that had Cam Newton, you want your quarterback to have a little pizzazz to him. And Baker brings that more than Sam. Plus, he's the new guy in town, so I think the fans, there's just that obvious connection to Baker that it brings optimism. You know what Sam can or can't do. Baker, I don't know, maybe he'll be the missing piece this year. But the fans obviously want Baker Mayfield. I think Baker brings more excitement, more energy. I think he's just a better quarterback. I think he should be the starter. Maybe they shouldn't be splitting reps too long between these guys. I've gone to training camp, by the way, uh, before. Uh, I don't know. Maybe you have. Maybe you enjoy it. Granted, I didn't go to my favorite team's training camp. I went to NFL training camp. I didn't go to the Vikings training camp. Maybe that'd be different. I think training camp is so boring. I watch these clips of these quarterbacks going out into the field and fans you know, cheering them on like we just played there. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't want to put down certain fans. Maybe you live in town, right? You live in uh, Spartanburg. There's nothing else to do in Spartanburg. Maybe you go over to Watford to go see the Panthers. Uh, to me, training camp is so boring. And I've always said I think football is the most boring of the practices. Uh, maybe it's just me. Basketball, I think, is intriguing. Baseball is pretty boring. It's just like batting practice and taking ground balls, but it's very similar to the game at least. Right? You see guys hit the ball. That's kind of fun. I don't know. Football, and I've been to a lot of football practices. I do it every, every uh, in these next couple of weeks. I'll start getting out to football practice. I go to plenty of football practice. I stand over by the side, and it's like, ah, this is, you know, this is kind of a waste of time, kind of boring. So for those going out to the training camp, right, cheering on Baker, like, ah, I don't know. You must be excited to see the new guy because training camp to me was always kind of boring. We were talking about names earlier. Guy is short for Gaetano, of course. I couldn't think of what it was. I grew up with a Gaetano. He just went by Gaetano. But Guy, short for Gaetano. All right. So uh, we were talking about names before. Uh, knowing somebody named Guy, maybe a short for Gaetano. Nice Italian name. Coming up, we'll get back to our conversation from earlier of which college football teams can actually win a championship this year. Plus, for Clemson, was it good or bad that they were picked to win the ACC? We'll get to that next hour. And we have to celebrate National Chili Dog Day. It was yesterday. We'll celebrate a day late. And today has some interesting national holidays as well. Plus, we got to get to our persona non grata. If we have time, some thoughts on Zion Williamson's contract, how it relates to Kyler Murray, and a whole lot more. One final hour to go in the week. Hour three coming up next. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. WTMZ, 98.9 FM, WTMZ, 910 AM and 94.7 FM, W234CD, Dorchester Terrace, Brentwood, Charleston. This is the Morrow Midday Show. But wait, there's more. On ESPN Radio. Final hour 
of the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. Coming up, still plenty to do this hour. Which teams in college football can legitimately win a national championship this year? Plus, was it good or bad that Clemson was picked to win the ACC? We'll get to that. We have time, some thoughts on Zion Williamson, Kyler Murray, and their contracts. We have to do our persona non grata coming up later on this hour as we wrap up another week. And we have to celebrate a day late National Chili Dog Day and whatever else we have today. I think today's National Chicken Wing Day. So, of course, we talk plenty of food around here. we got to get to that later on here on the Morrow Midday Show. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcasts. And the podcast is also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. Just click on our show page. You can also get in touch with the show by heading over to charlestonsportsradio.com, clicking on the show page, leaving a comment there. Get to us on Twitter at Morrow Middays. Text the show, 843-608-1734. Or you can join the conversation on the phones, 843-721-9500 to ever give us a call. By the way, coming up this weekend, Sunday. How about this? Sunday, July 31st, supposed to be the trade deadline in baseball. We talked about that earlier. It's the uh, deadline's not going to be on Tuesday. But July 31st, 2022, is when George Jetson was born in the Jetsons. So if you ever grew up watching the Jetsons and it was so you know futuristic and it's set in the future and ahead of its time, well, we have finally gotten to the point now where – George Jetson is set to be born. This is the time in which he was born, July 31st, 2022, which is coming up on Sunday. So then fast forward, I don't know how old he was. I have to go back and uh, look that up, how old George actually was. He was obviously middle-aged. He had a couple of young kids, so he couldn't have been that old. Uh, the show took place, what, like 40 years from now, 50 years from now? How similar do you think the world will be in that time to what the Jetsons portrayed? You know, the Jetsons, they were ahead of their time, let me tell you. Flying cars, jetpacks, having a robotic maid. They had holograms, 3D printed food. They did have drones. There were some things that the uh, Jetsons were able to predict. I mean, they had smartwatches. I'm wearing my Apple Watch right now. They had the smartwatch. They were the first to have, uh, I assume the first, but they had, um, you know, like FaceTime and Zoom. Now it's more like a phone call, but you could see who you're talking to. Jetpacks are kind of a thing, right? They're a thing. They're out there. There are robotic, and maybe not like uh, like the Jetsons have, but there are, and maybe not, you can't get a Rosie per se, but there are robotic maids. You ever go to a hotel and you walk out the door of your hotel and there's uh, one of those robotic cleaners going down the hallway? It's a little creepy. Sometimes they can even deliver food. It's a little weird. Right? Robots at some point are going to take over the world. We've had holograms before. We've seen performers come back to life on stage through the use of holograms. 3D printed food. We do have 3D printers. We have drones. They had smart shoes, smart watches. So anyways, if you were a fan of the Jetsons, it was July 31st, 2022, when George Jetson was actually born. That was his birth date. And here we are heading there towards uh, this weekend. So then fast forward a few decades, and life could look a lot like uh, it did in the show The Jetsons. Hey, we open the show talking about college football because we know college football has been largely predictable and the same teams seem to win every year. And college football home put together their tiers of the playoff era. Right, Only four schools have 
won a national championship. Only one school has been a runner-up without winning. Only seven other schools have even made the playoff without getting to the national championship. That's been about it. Pretty predictable. And when you go back and you look, there are certain boxes that all the national champions are now checking. They have to have talented players. 22 of the last 23 national champions had four straight top 25 recruiting classes, which also included at least one top 15 class and at least two other top 10 classes. Those champions also had to finish the prior season in the top 25 in total team scoring efficiency ranks, which looks at both offense and defense. you got to be well-rounded. And those teams, these champions of this century also had good coaching staffs as well. Highly regarded coordinators who were not uh, their first year on the job mostly or you know, not a first-time head coach had to have experienced good coaching as well. Those are the boxes that champions have to check. 22 of the last 23 national champions have checked those recruiting boxes, really all those boxes. The one exception was Deshaun Watson's Clemson Tigers. They did not have a top 10 recruiting class, but they were top 25 the four years leading up to their national championship. They finished in recruiting 14th, 18th, 18th, and then 16th on their way to winning the national championship. The only teams to even make the national championship this century without checking all of those boxes are Clemson, who did win. Then you have Virginia Tech and Oregon twice. But those teams, if they didn't check all the boxes, what they did have to make up for it, elite quarterback play. Michael Vick, Marcus Mariota, Deshaun Watson, first-round quarterbacks. The one exception, last 23 years, the only team to even make it to a national championship without checking all of these boxes or having a first-round quarterback talent was when Oregon got there with Darren Thomas. That's it. Every national champion this century has had a top 25 most talented roster the previous four years, right? Top 25 in recruiting the previous four years. So when we look at the possibilities this year, that gives us the following 18 teams have been top 25 in recruiting the last four years. And we're going to start with this base list and work our way down. But those 18 are Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Texas A&M, LSU, Oklahoma, Texas, Penn State, Clemson, Michigan, Notre Dame, Florida, Oregon, Tennessee, Auburn, Florida State, Miami, UNC. Those are the 18 teams we're working with. They check the first part of a champion resume. They have the original criteria. But then, remember... The next level is to not only have those top 25 recruiting classes like those 18 schools have, but also you have to have within the last four years at least one top 15 recruiting class and also two top 10 recruiting classes. That narrows things down to a list of 10 schools now, which includes Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Texas A&M, LSU, Oklahoma, Texas, Penn State, Clemson, Michigan. Those 10. Now, as I already told you, the next part of that championship resume is that the last 22 champions also have had a previous season in which they were top 25 the very uh, the, the, the year prior. The season before they won a national championship, all these winners finished in the top 25 in scoring efficiency ranks. So we look back at last year. Well, Georgia, of course, was number one. They were the national champions. Then Alabama finished in 11th last year in scoring efficiency. Ohio State was third. Texas A&M was fifth. LSU was 71st, so we crossed them off. They were not good enough last year. 
We don't see teams make that big of a jump in one offseason in college football to go win the national championship the next year when you were not playing like a top 25 team the year before. Right? You got to take your you got to make your steps up to becoming a champion. You can't just fast forward in one offseason. Not like the NFL where you know you go get a couple of free agents and you're like the Bengals you're in the Super Bowl the next year. Oklahoma finished 10th last year in scoring efficiency, so they stick around. Texas finished 68th. We can cross them off the list. Penn State just barely makes it. They were 24th. Clemson 8th. Michigan 4th last year. So now we're down to eight schools. We have eight potential championship contenders in college football this year. Last box. The last 22 champions, they all had big-time play callers in order to win a championship. Right, the maybe the only exception was Alabama had Brian Dable as offensive coordinator, uh, but he's done a pretty good job in the NFL. He has since boosted his resume. And LSU, when Joe Brady, you could say, well, you know, they had Joe Brady was a first year offensive coordinator, but he wasn't truly the offensive coordinator. His title was like pass game analyst, and the offensive coordinator had been there for a long time. So most champions this century, really all champions this century, needed big time coaching staffs as well. Not only top end talent not only being close the year prior to winning, but also good coaching staffs, good coaches that could get the job done. So if we look at the eight teams we have left in college football, we've narrowed it down to eight potential champions. For Georgia, defensive coordinator is now Will Muschamp. Maybe a concern, but when you have a head coach like Kirby Smart who oversees the defense, that makes up the difference. They were able to win a national championship last year. Yes, they lost Dan Lanning. Could be a, a big loss. We'll see. But Kirby still runs that defense, and the quarterback's back from a year ago. So Georgia will keep him around. Alabama, the concern may be Bill O'Brien as offensive coordinator. And the only time Nick Saban has lost in national title games with Alabama were when he had first-time offensive coordinators. Lane Kiffin was fired in the playoff. Steve Sarkeesian took over. They lost in the national championship. First-year offensive coordinator, first-game offensive coordinator. Mike Loxley was in his first year as offensive coordinator the next time Alabama lost. And then last year, they lost. Bill O'Brien was a first-year offensive coordinator. So when Alabama's lost, it's because the offensive coordinator wasn't good enough. But I would say the talent usually makes up for that weakness for Alabama. And with Bill O'Brien last year, in his first year, they did get to a national championship. And you also had the Heisman winner in Bryce Young, who's coming back. So while it may be a little bit of a concern, you know, how good of an OC truly is B.O.B., uh, there's enough talent there and enough of a track record last year that it probably won't keep them from winning. So we keep Alabama around. No surprise there. Ohio State has maybe the best resume in that Ryan Day's great offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coming back, and while the defensive coordinator was a change, it would be considered an upgrade. That's why they made the move, and they brought in Jim Knowles. Really good offensive coordinator. The one concern for Ohio State is that his defense usually takes a little time to really build. So you may not reap the benefits at least early in the year. Maybe by the end of the year, right? it's a high-functioning defense under a good defensive coordinator. Then we get to the other schools. Texas A&M, pretty good coordinators. I mean, they did lose Mike Elko, their defensive coordinator, had to replace him. So a solid combination, but maybe the concern, the concern more is actually with the head coach, Jimbo Fisher. Now, he has won a national championship before, but at Texas A&M, they've lost a lot of close games. That can be an indictment on the head coach. And the passing offense has never been good at A&M. That is an indictment on the head coach because Jimbo Fisher is the offensive guy. Has never had an explosive offensive passing attack. Quarterbacks haven't been good enough. That's a concern with A&M. For Oklahoma, they have an unknown at offensive coordinator. They have an unknown at head coach. 
We haven't seen Venables before. He's a great defensive coach or defensive coordinator. What will he be like as a head coach? And Miami is the only program in the last 73 years to ever win a national championship with a first-year head coach. I don't think Venables is going to do it at Oklahoma. So I crossed them off the list. We get to Penn State. Good coordinators, good coaching staff, experienced quarterback coming back. Penn State checks a lot of these boxes. And Ohio State is really their only threat in the Big Ten, we assume. So Penn State, they have a pretty good resume this year. Clemson, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator. Both unproven. Not a winning recipe. Right, Nick Saban has never won a national championship when he had to replace both coordinators in the same offseason. Pete Carroll never did either. And I think Carroll is a more similar head coach to Dabo than anybody else. That is difficult to do. And I know they coached in the bowl game, and I know they've been on staff, but it's hard to replace both coordinators and go win a national championship in year one, especially with the questions at quarterback as well. And lastly, Michigan. Michigan lost both coordinators. They made it to the playoffs last year. It was a surprise. Then they lost both offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator, and the offensive coordinator they hired has no play-calling experience. Those are the concerns for Michigan. I crossed them off the list. I think they take a step back this year like Florida did a year ago. So that narrows it down for us. We have a couple of teams left. You look at Oklahoma, Michigan, Clemson, they all have low grades or no experienced play callers stepping in. Georgia, maybe some concerns about their new defensive coordinator replacing Dan Lanning, but you still have Kirby Smart there. That helps. Alabama maybe has a weakness at offensive coordinator, but their talent, especially at quarterback, is just so good. It'll make up the difference. And then you have the others where Penn State, right, Penn State uh, doing things okay. Penn State just squeezed into the top 25 efficiency from a year ago. A&M lost Mike Elko, the defensive coordinator who was the big guy for them last year. And Ohio State probably has the strongest resume. So when we do our little exercise and we look at all the national champions of this century, Ohio State fits the profile of a national champion the best. I would then say Alabama would be second, Georgia would be third. And when you look at Vegas, right, those are the three favorites. Now, Alabama's the biggest favorite. I would maybe put even Ohio State ahead of Alabama. But Alabama and Ohio State, on paper, have the two best resumes of a future champion in college football. Georgia's right there as well. They lose Dan Lanning, big loss, but you still have Kirby Smart. You have uh, the quarterback coming back, and they check a lot of the other boxes. Georgia can be in the conversation. Last thing we'll do, and we did this earlier, but you look at sleepers because we do have at least one outlier. So it is possible. Now, it's only happened once for a reason, but Clemson won that national championship the first time with Deshaun without having a top 10 recruiting class. So if we go back and we look at the teams that have had top 25 classes the last four years, but not a top 10 class, we have eight hangovers. And remember, the next box to check, top 25 in scoring efficiency. When we look at these teams that are left over, very few of them check that next box. Florida was 46 last year in scoring efficiency. Cross them off. Oregon was 38th. Cross them off. Auburn, 52nd. Cross them off. Florida State, 65th. Cross them off. Miami, 66th. They're gone. UNC, 48th. Cross them off. Schools that have done a really good job in recruiting but did not play well enough a year ago. They're still not close enough to compete for a national championship. The two that are left that do check the next box. Notre Dame was ninth last year in scoring efficiency. They played like a top-10 team. Tennessee was 18th. Now, when we look at Notre Dame and Tennessee, right, Notre Dame, first-year head coach. Changes in the coaching staff, first-year head coach. Miami's the only program since almost World War II that has won a national championship with a first-year head coach. I cross off Notre Dame. I don't think Marcus Freeman gets it done ever, especially in year one. 
And that leaves us with Tennessee as the one potential sleeper. Not telling you it's likely or it's going to happen. I don't know how many people predicted Clemson either to become some sort of dynasty and win national championships. But Tennessee checks just about all of the boxes. The one exception is they have not had a top 10 recruiting class. But they've done everything else. They've had top 15. They've had top 25 the last four years. They were a top 25 program a year ago in the way that they played statistically. Coaching staff's coming back. They have good coordinators, good head coach, and maybe most importantly, an old, experienced quarterback, maybe even a first-rounder. The outliers in college football the last 20 years were led by great first-round quarterbacks, Deshaun Watson, Michael Vick, Marcus Mariota. Could Hendon Hooker, who is the oldest quarterback in Power 5 football, become a first-round talent? Sixth-year quarterback will be 25 by the end of the year. Put up great numbers last year, his first year in that system. Now this is year two. I'm not telling you Tennessee is going to go win a national championship, but if there is some sort of dark horse, somebody actually does win this year that we never saw coming, they may have the best chance. The contenders, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, in that order. The next tier of teams may be a Texas A&M, but I do have concerns about losing Mike Elko and the job that Jimbo Fisher has done. Penn State would be in that next tier as well, but they were a fringe top 25 team last year. Maybe they're still not ready to go win or compete for a championship. And the sleeper would be a Tennessee. When you go back and you look at the track record of champions this content, uh, this uh, century, those are the teams that fit the profile. Everyone else, they're missing one of the pieces. Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, they're the favorites for a reason. They have the strongest resume, specifically Ohio State and Alabama. Georgia does have to replace their best coordinator, right? their best uh, assistant coach on staff. But Ohio State, Alabama, check all the boxes of a champion. And once again in college football, it'll probably come down to the favorites this year as well. When we come back, Clemson did not make it to the end of that exercise. right? With new coordinators, too many questions, especially at the quarterback position as well, and he's returning. When we come back for Clemson, was it good that they were picked to win the ACC? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? We'll get to that next. The more Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spin lunch with Luke. Yo, what up? What's the word, big fella? Everything's good on this end. Hey, Luke, how's it going? Thanks for having me on the show. Hey, Luke. Hey, man. Pleasure to be on your show. I'm doing great, but I'm hoping you could call me Boca Baby. Great show. You're doing a good job. You're turning into rapidly my favorite person I've interviewed with, and I've done like 50 of these in the last week. You've done your homework. I like it. I absolutely like it. I love that. Another great thought. You've done your homework, haven't you? Good job. You've always get these big stars and important people on. That's great to hear. We like to hear the interviews. You know, it's uncanny how you do this, Luke. And I don't know how you do. Because, you know, I do this gauntlet of radio on Thursdays where I do all these different cities. Many of them need their hosts to have me give them some talking points. You hit all my talking points every week. It's, it's uncanny how good you are. Always great talking football with you, Luke. Appreciate you guys being right. Very impressive. just want to say, I find you the low country Colin Coward. You use common sense with statistics, and you combine them, and you think outside the box. Shout out to all the people in Dolphins that support the show. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. You inspire us to listen more to your show every single day. Da-da-da-da-da. Go ahead, boy. That's why you bring it on. Is this a sports show or a dancing show? I, I don't know. Sometimes I don't know what we're doing around here. Lunch with Luke for three hours, anything goes. On the Morrow Midday Show. It's the Morrow Midday Show here on ESPN Radio. Clemson 
pick to win the ACC. Good or bad? Usually not a bad thing when you're you know, given some sort of accolades uh, pick to do well. Get to that in a moment here on the show. If you ever miss anything from the show, you can always catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston. However, you listen to your podcast. We still have a lot that we have to try to squeeze in here for the final about 35 minutes of the week. And we've been talking about plenty uh, throughout the week, throughout today. We've been, um, you know, looking ahead to the ACC. we got the preseason poll this week. We've got the personal accolades we talked about yesterday. I was thinking about this, actually, on the drive home yesterday. You know, that Clemson was picked to win the ACC again this year and picked by the vast majority of voters. I think Clemson fans are pretty optimistic as well. A lot of times we talk about with Dabo and with Clemson, I've compared him to Bill Parcells in the past, where Parcells was great at always finding a way to put a chip on the shoulder of his team. And then if you go back and you look, once Parcells actually started winning, like when he won Super Bowls, a little bit harder. A little bit harder to play that role. Like everybody doubts us. It's them against us. Nobody believes in us. I think, well, you're kind of winning a bunch of Super Bowls and people are picking you to win the Super Bowl again this year. became a little more challenging for Parcells. That was his big calling card. Was He was a great motivator, and that was how he would motivate people. But, you know, as the old cliche goes, it's uh, like it's hard to, to get up and train at 6 a.m. when you're sleeping in silk sheets. And these guys, it's hard for you to tell them, like, nobody believes in you. And then they open the paper and see, like, people are, everyone's picking them to win the Super Bowl once again after they were just on top and they were celebrating all offseason. You tune it out a little bit. And for Dabo, that's been his thing, right? And then you go and you win some national championships or you're picked to win the national championship. And, again, it's it's hard to keep that chip on your shoulder, to have that us against them or everyone against us mentality. And then for Clemson, you had that down year last year, a down year for them. They won 10 games, but they didn't really achieve all that they hoped or wanted to. We're not in the ACC title game. Questions, concerns about the quarterback. Changes on the coaching staff, new coordinators coming in who are unproven. We don't know how they're going to be. And then yet here we are, and Clemson's picked to win the ACC once again pretty easily this year in the preseason poll. Then no matter how down things may seem to be, how bad things may seem to be at Clemson, how difficult of a year they're coming off of or the trend, right, the direction they may be trending in, you look at the rest of the conference, people aren't confident enough in anybody else to try to take over the top spot. And yeah, Clemson will be fine. They'll, they'll win. And I go back to the idea of, you know, putting that chip on the shoulder of little old Clemson, them against us. And it gets a little bit harder again to sell on that idea when you're coming off the worst season in a few years. You lost both coordinators who've been with you for a long time. A lot of people like to give the credit to Clemson's success to somebody like a Brent Venables. Well, now he's gone. There goes your safety blanket. You replace him with a couple of coordinators that most people didn't really understand those moves, staying internal, giving it to guys who haven't really truly been in this role before. Questions about DJ and concerns of if this guy can really be the guy. The ACC seemingly getting better all around. Quarterbacks coming back in that conference. A chance to have some intrigue. NC State is returning 17 starters and the preseason player of the year. And they beat you. They weren't picked to win their division. Wake Forest was in the ACC title game. They did win the division, and they're bringing back their quarterback who was fantastic a year ago. They weren't picked to win the division. They weren't even picked to finish second. Miami just hired Mario Cristobal. Everyone's excited there about Miami. They have a Heisman hopeful at quarterback. They weren't picked to win the ACC. Instead, it was little old Clemson with two unproven coordinators running the show, a quarterback that nobody really seems to believe in, coming off a down year, 
last season, not in the ACC title game, and yet it's like, yeah, well, they're still Clemson. It's the ACC. They'll be just fine. They'll win the conference. It's like, um, I don't know if it's the perfect comparison, but it's like the person, I'll take it back to Seinfeld. When George Costanza was trying to get fired from the Yankees, and no matter what he did, he couldn't get fired. There was always some sort of excuse or reason. He's trying to get fired so he could go take a job with the Mets instead. And he's doing all sorts of different things. No matter what he tries to do, he can't get fired. Right? Similar, like, no matter what happens with Clemson, they still can't be doubted that when push comes to shove, you got to pick a winner. Yeah, it's still Clemson's conference. And it sounds great. As a fan, like that's, that's what you want. You always want them to be at the top of the conference, win the conference. Why not? But for Clemson and the idea of, uh, you know, us against them, a little old Clemson, it's everybody against us, chip on the shoulder. It's like, yeah, you just you came off a down year. You got a lot of questions around you. Eh, you're still picked to win the conference. People aren't that concerned, truly. Maybe some in these parts. I'll tell you, I, I have my concerns, but those that cover the ACC that voted in the poll, eh, they're fine. Yeah, Clemson, they're going to win the conference this year. They'll be fine. They'll bounce back. That was just a down year. That was an outlier. They'll be okay this year. Meanwhile, if Clemson were to say, just let's say, hypothetically speaking, they were picked to finish third. Think of that motivation. Think of that bulletin board material. How easy it would be for Dabo to build them up all year. Hey, DJ, they're not believing in you. Coaches not believing in you. I mean, you could still say that stuff anyways because there's plenty of that narrative going around, including from yours truly. Right? But how easy would that be to get a team fired up and ready to go and be out for blood this year? We were disappointing last year. We didn't do it. You know, we didn't achieve our goals. Now they think we're already we're gone. Right? They think Clemson. Oh, we're just the third best team in the division. They don't believe in our quarterback and our coaches. They think NC State is better. Right? It would be so much easier to motivate that team and get fired up. It'd be like uh, like the song "Forgot About Dre" right? and the lyrics in that song. Uh, don't think don't think that uh, one down year. Clemson's gone. As Dr. Dre said, uh, you know, what do you think? I sold them all for Clemson, right? You think one down a year, you think they're done? Ah, they're coming back. But the voters agree, too. I wonder if for Clemson, it'd be a lot easier to get, you know, easy, easy talking points, easy, uh, easier speeches, everything. Get this team fired up. If uh, they're doubting us, they picked us to finish third. But now after a down year with a lot of questions, people still understand. The ACC, for the time being, it's still Clemson's conference. No matter what Costanza tried to do, couldn't get fired. No matter what uh, questions there may be around Clemson, they still run the ACC. And Parcells ran into that issue where they got to a point, his stuff didn't work anymore. They got too good. He couldn't tell Phil Sims, like, oh, they're doubting you. You suck. No, actually, he probably should be in the Hall of Fame. And he's got a pretty good career. And he's not going to really buy into your nonsense anymore. He's not a young guy trying to make his way in the NFL. It becomes a little bit harder. There are still plenty of people doubting Clemson and certain players on that team, but not as many voting in the ACC preseason poll that thinks, yeah, they'll be fine. They'll be back on top when the conference this year, despite whatever happened in the last 12 months. When we come back, we got to get to persona non grata. we got a lot to still jam into the final 30 minutes here. We have to celebrate uh, Chili Dog Day yesterday, a day late but never too late to do the right thing. And also, if we have time, we'll touch on uh, Kyler Murray and Zion Williamson's contracts, similar situations. We'll try to get to all of that when we come back. It's the Mar Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show.
It's the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow on ESPN Radio. We got a lot to do here in our final about 20 minutes on air this week. We'll try to touch on the Kyler Murray situation, Zion Williamson as well. We have to get to our persona non grata of the week. And also, I'd be remiss if I didn't, even though it's a day late, celebrate National Chili Dog Day. That was yesterday. Today is National Lasagna Day. That's good stuff. National Chicken Wing Day. National Lipstick Day. And National Talk in an Elevator Day. If there was ever a day for Trent, it's too bad he's out today because uh, we've talked about this on the show before. He's a big talker in the elevator. So today's National Talk in an Elevator Day. It's even got its own day. Anderson, do you talk to people in an elevator? I almost never, uh, you know, talk to people in, in an yeah. elevator. However, I am, like, receptive. If someone wants to make a comment mm-hmm. to me, you know, I'll talk back to them. But, uh, yeah, I, I usually won't start a conversation. Now, I was in New Orleans during the Final Four, and so, I, uh, you know, you'd see coaches in the elevator there. Uh, it was actually uh, near a hotel where the big coaches convention was. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, so I saw a bunch of coaches there. Dana Altman, uh, Bruce Pearl was there. Oh. My dad was actually in an elevator with Bruce Pearl, so he talked to him. But, yeah, to, to answer your question, no, but I, I will talk back to people if they make a comment to me. Look, there are exceptions to every rule. You get in an elevator with Bruce Pearl, you could strike up a conversation. Yeah. You get in an elevator with Cindy from 11C, eh, maybe you just have a quiet ride up to your floor, right? <laughs> eh, come on. So I'm with you. Talking in an elevator, eh, same idea. Somebody wants to talk to me, I got no problem. I'll have a conversation with you. I don't really go out of my way to talk in an elevator. Unless, right, I get on an elevator with Mick Jagger. Okay, then hold on. Let me press every button on this thing to slow down our ride. But today's National Talk in an Elevator Day. Also, National Chicken Wings Day. Uh, how do you prefer, like, what sauce would you get on your chicken wings? I'm a big garlic parm fan. Oh, garlic parm. Like, Interesting. Yeah, it, it's not good for the next hour afterwards. That's true. For your breath. But, uh, yeah, that, that uh, 15, 20 minutes of enjoying them, I love that. I, I like a garlic parm. I do like garlic parm, but I can only have so many. Yeah. Like, if I have I'm not a big amount. I have three or four. It's like, oh, I got to get onto something else. I got to cleanse my palate. It's, yeah. like, so strong. But I'm with you. They are good. I told you, I, I've said on the show many times, but this week I can't do ice cream anymore. I also can't really do spicy food anymore. I'm, I'm getting old. Body's changing. So I got to be careful. With the wings now, I do a little more barbecue than I do, you know, even my, sometimes mild. It's not mild enough for me, let me tell you. So garlic parm could be a good alternative. I usually just do the good old uh, barbecue and maybe a little honey barbecue. That's about it. I'm not in on the whole lemon pepper thing. I'll do a nice dry rub uh, chicken wing. But happy National Chicken Wing Day as well. So we got quite a bit going on today. We got lasagna and chicken wing day. Two things that don't really go well together, but you can blend them together on this day, on July 29th. And also National Talk in an Elevator Day. So go pick up some chicken wings, some lasagna, and as you're bringing them up to your uh, to your apartment or wherever you may be, if you have an elevator around, make sure to strike up a nice conversation in the elevator. National Talk in an Elevator Day. So we got a lot going on today on July. You you thought it was just a random Friday in the summer. Got all sorts of things going on. Yesterday was National Chili Dog Day. Now, we're a day late with this, but I figured, I don't know if this is uh, well known, the original cut of, uh, you may know the song Jack and Diane by John Mellencamp. Who doesn't? It's a hit. But did you ever hear the original version? I thought this was fitting to play on National Chili, well, one day late. But for National Chili Dog Day yesterday, there's that famous line, about uh, sucking on a chili dog in Jack and Diane. Here is the original cut of the song way back when that uh, would have been very fitting yesterday for National Chili Dog Day. And uh, we'll grab this this audio of uh, the original Jack and Diane. They had to change it. Song became a hit. 
So you can't really complain. But for National Chili Dog Day, here's the original. We, we got this leaked from the studio, the original cut of Jack and Diane by John Mellencamp. About Jack and Diane, two American kids growing up in the heartland. Jackie's gonna be a football star. Diane's every Tom back seat of Jackie's car. Sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on a chili dog, sucking on a chili dog. Chili dog. Sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on a dog, sucking on a chili dog. Chili. Sucking on a chili dog. Sucking on a dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on. Sucking on chili dog, sucking on a dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on chili, sucking on a dog, sucking on a chili dog, sucking on chili dog. A little ditty about Jack and Diane. Two American kids sucking on a chili dog. For some reason, the studio wouldn't let Mellencamp put it out that way. They had to change the song. But we are fortunate enough to get the original cut, the demo version of Jack and Diane. And fitting to play around National Chili Dog Day. Hopefully you had a chili dog yesterday. Suck down a nice chili dog to celebrate. Go get yourself some chicken wings. Hey, speaking of which, that's a fair transition, a transition to Zion Williamson. Did you see Zion's new contract? All right, where everyone's up in arms about Kyler Murray and his deal. By the way, the Cardinals backed out of that whole thing. They removed that from the contract, which is pretty weak. But it also serves its purpose because now it's known. I mean, you can't hold Kyler's feet to the fire at this point. There's no money on the line. But you embarrassed him enough publicly, and you got it out there that we know Kyler Murray's not working hard enough in the eyes of the Cardinals. That's why they put it out there in the first place. Well, Zion Williamson signed his new contract this offseason. And then this was uh, released yesterday by Christian Clark, who covers the Pelicans, that in that contract, Zion Williamson is required to have his weight and body fat percentage add up to less than 295. His weight and body percent. So let's say he weighs, right, the average person, the body fat percentage, I believe, of the average person, I believe, is 18%. Let's say Zion's average. Or we'll give him a little below average. Say he's 20% body fat. That means he can't weigh any more than 275. So that's what we need out of Zion. Keep your weight to like below 275 and your body fat below 20% and you'll get the money that's owed to you. I think it's fair from New Orleans. I said this at the time. The, you know, the Sixers did something similar with Embiid except more about games missed because for Joel Embiid, it wasn't about his, his weight. It was just about his health and being on the court. And I said, the Pelicans, you got to do something. You got to give yourself some opportunity in this contract, and they did. And I like this idea with the weight. Whether it's Kyler Murray or Zion Williamson, right? These athletes, there's got to be some accountability here. You're a quarterback. You got to study your film. 
You're a star forward, Ky- uh, Zion Williamson. You got to stay in playing shape. So I get the idea. I like it. I have no problem with it. But Kyler Murray, or really Zion Williamson, right? Zion, you better keep it below a certain weight. Get your money paid. By the way, I did my uh, my my fa- body fat percentage. I'm slightly above average. Take that. Here was um, Kendrick Perkins on his podcast with uh, he does it with uh, Swagoo, as they call him. Uh, they were talking about uh, Zion Williamson's contract on the uh, podcast and talking about how, you know, this is like an offensive lineman type of contract. Here was Kendrick Perkins' take on the Zion Williamson's deal. That's a clause that an offensive lineman have in this contract. And listen, no, no disrespect, bro, but here's the thing. With that clause, that means that and, – and, and shout out to whoever Zion went hired. I think he went – I forgot the guy's name, but uh, he hired some new people in his corner – and you can tell they're doing a, a better and a great job of his marketing and things right. of that nature. So he's trying. So I'm not going to kill him like I want to. But still and all, we got to speak the truth. The fact that they had to, that his weight clause is at 295 tells me one thing and one thing only. That his off-the-court habits are not where they should be. But you know what? I'm glad that, I'm glad New Orleans did that to protect themselves. And what people don't realize is this, and I want to get your thoughts. I never had to deal with a weight clause in my contract, but I was teammates with a guy who did have to do one, Big Glenn, Big Baby Day. Mm-hmm. And, man, I used to see Glenn. <laughs> I used to walk in. Bro, I used to walk in early in the morning. And no lie, he was in the sauna with a sweatsuit on, on those wind sprint bikes, trying to get below the whip, below the weight, because, you know, in basketball, you get paid every first and 15th. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if it fall on the weekend, then you get it on that Friday or whatever. Well, the thing is, is this. He had it, like, every 12th or something, like three days before his stuff was supposed the to weigh in. Yes, and the way it goes is, is that it's basically, bro, you basically probably, I don't know the stipulations of Zion contract, but he might have to weigh in once a month, or if not, two times a month. And if he ain't meeting under that weight, he might not get paid. Kendrick Perkins breaking down the Zion situation. Look, it may seem embarrassing. Uh, you know, it, it puts uh, maybe some of the dirty laundry out there, although we know with Zion, right, weight has been a concern. But it also keeps these guys accountable. If I'm an organization and I'm given, in the case of Kyler Murray, you know, $231 million, yeah, I'm, I'm going to put something in there to make sure he's working hard if I'm going to guarantee all this money. Same with Zion. Like, if I'm going to commit millions of dollars to you, yeah, I'm going to make sure you're doing your part as well to, you know, keep uh, your weight off so that you could be out there and play. I got no problem with it. Now, these athletes don't always have to be coddled. There's got to be some accountability. And by the way, they signed the contract. Kyler can hold his little press conference this week and threw a temper tantrum yesterday. And you signed the deal. You got a problem with it? Don't sign the contract. Must not have been that bad. It was worth uh, two, the two hundred thirty-one million, right? and now you're embarrassed that it got out there publicly. Hey, don't sign the contract next time. Say no, I'm not signing it with that in there if it's that big of a problem. But obviously, right? There must be some sort of issue to be these th- these clauses in these contracts. And for Zion, we know the weight. You got to make sure you keep that off. All right. Before we go, we always wrap up each week with uh, with our persona non grata. Who let us down this week? Who disappointed us? Who went against the family? There are plenty. To choose from. So before we wrap up your Friday, let's uh, get to this week's persona non grata. You are a disgrace to 
this university, to this country, and humanity in general. You blew it! I'll shut up in your face. You are one pathetic loser. God, Karen, you are so stupid. Don't ever take sides with anyone against the family again. I'll shut up in your face! Time now for this week's Persona Non Grata. Hey, on that subject, we could say Kyler Murray this week for not doing his film study and then getting upset when it was released and holding a press conference and talking about his accolades and saying, I don't need to work hard to be good. We could say Russell Wilson for showing up wearing his own uniform at training camp this week. Or if you've seen some of his answers to press conferences. Ah, oh, they're so corny. Just talks and cliches. Too manufactured. And I like Russell Wilson. But I like Russell Wilson, the quarterback, not so much Russell Wilson behind the microphone or on social media with his corny videos or wearing his own jersey to training camp. Draymond Green for constantly saying ridiculous things, talking about how he should be a max player and whatever else he said. Uh, the Warriors would dominate the 90s Bulls, whatever else he has to say all the time. What about Tom Hardy? We talked about this earlier in the week, but Tom Hardy was the winner in a poll of the actor. Most difficult to even understand what they're saying. How can you enjoy a show or a movie when you don't know what the star is saying? Tom Hardy's on the list. Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. You know, oftentimes it's boosters that get in trouble. But we got news this week that Jeremy Pruitt directly, him and his wife, were paying recruits. They were buying them food. They were paying them, you know, on their visits. The wife was taking who knows who out to uh, get manicures and pedicures. We'll see what the punishment is for Tennessee, but Jeremy Pruitt probably should never be a coach again in college football. Maybe you would have thought Charles Barkley, he made his announcement this morning, he's sticking with TNT, not going to live golf, and said he'll finish his broadcasting career with TNT. I'm happy just because we don't lose him off the inside of the NBA show. So we can cross Barkley off the list. Early this week, talked about Major League Baseball teams that are still going about things all wrong as we approach the trade deadline. Focusing on the wrong things. They're a candidate. Maybe Matt Rule for some of the things he said this week about the quarterback position. How eh, it's not my job to pick the quarterback. Maybe that's why the Panthers still don't have one underneath Matt Rule. Or maybe it's because of how he's handling the situation, as we discussed last hour, by splitting the reps 50-50. Right, only furthering the hurt at the quarterback position for your franchise. But this week, our persona non grata goes to Klondike. We talked about this on the show yesterday. But for discontinuing the Chaco Taco after 40 years, one of the greatest ice cream treats you can get at your local Grocery store, gas station, or most importantly, ice cream truck when they roll through your neighborhood on a hot, steamy summer day. RIP to the Chaco Taco, which is being discontinued after 40 years. Klondike, the company that makes them, your persona non grata. You went against the family. You got rid of our Chaco. Now, look, I can't eat ice cream anymore, but I still can appreciate how delicious the Chaco Taco is. And if I were to ever buy a pill, then I could eat ice cream again. And if when I go get ice cream for the first time in years, Chaco Taco will be high up on the list for what ice cream I, wa I would want to enjoy. Klondike, persona non grata this week, getting rid of the Chaco Taco after 40 years. Such a delicious ice cream truck treat in the summer. We'll wrap up your Friday when we come back. It's the more Midday Show on ESPN Radio. Spend lunch with Luke. Attention campers, lunch has been canceled today due to lack of hustle. Deal with it. On the Morrow Midday Show.
Wrapping up your Friday on the Morrow Midday Show with Luke Morrow here on ESPN Radio. If you ever miss anything from the show, catch it on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston however you listen to your podcasts. And the podcasts are also available online at charlestonsportsradio.com. While you're there, you can take the Morrow Midday Show with you wherever you go. Stream us online at charlestonsportsradio.com or through TuneIn Radio, your smart speaker, or our free app. Search ESPN Charleston in the App Store. And through the app, you can listen to the show live or on demand from anywhere in the world. Podcast available there. Show can be listened through the app. ESPN Charleston in the App Store. Get it today. Appreciate listeners checking in from at least nine different states and multiple countries hanging with us on this Friday. Hey, before we go, um, I guess I'll I, – I really don't know uh, what will, what's uh, upcoming here for the Morrow Midday Show. I guess Scott on his show earlier said that he'll be starting next week at noon on Monday. So, you know, there have been some talks uh, around here. I haven't been told anything. I wish I could tell you something, but I don't know myself. So for the Morrow Midday Show, I don't know if, uh, you know, there's been talks about swapping with Scott. There's been talks, honestly, of uh, maybe uh, focusing more on the play-by-play and not the Morrow Midday Show moving forward. So who knows? Um, but uh, I know Scott said earlier that he's, uh, his show is going to uh, start at 12 next week. I don't know. I know as much as you do right now, but we'll find out. So if you ever miss any of the show, catch on demand. Search ESPN Radio Charleston, however you listen to your podcast. As I always say, life is a series of hellos and goodbyes. For now, we say goodbye. I don't know when I'll say hello. 10 a.m. on Monday? Noon on Monday? Maybe never again on the Morrow Midday Show. Who knows? I don't call the shots. Appreciate you hanging with us. Catch the show on demand. We'll talk to you when we talk to you, I guess. Find out what happens after the weekend. It's the Morrow Midday Show right here on ESPN Radio.